We're just about a month out. We're going to the top of Stone Mountain. And uh, I would just tell you, we feel right now that the Lord is really beginning to shift things. There's massive momentum. But as we're feeling the, the move of the Lord increase, we're also now beginning to experience opposition. And we're getting it from all sides. We're getting it from the church. We're getting it from the world. We're getting it from the supremacists, the separatists. We're getting it from everywhere. And right now, even this, just yesterday, we got a, a, a communication that's trying to stop what we want to do at Stone Mountain. So we're going to pray right now. Let's pray into it right now. So Father, in the name of, listen to your voice with me. Just begin to lift your voice. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we are stepping into a season of divine visitation. We believe it, and we accept what you're doing with us. Lord, we're not afraid of suffering. We're not afraid of persecution. But what we're asking right now is for the captain of the host of heaven's armies to go before us right now and to thwart every opposing activity. Every supremacist ideology, every separatist mentality, God, that the, anything the enemy would try to bring to halt the work of the Spirit through your church in this hour, we call it to no effect right now, right now, right now, right now, in the name of Jesus Christ. And we thank you, God, as the messages of opposition are coming, we count it all joy that we can endure various trials. We count it all joy and that we're blessed to be persecuted for righteousness sake. So God, we thank you for the activity of the Holy Spirit right now, moving every obstacle, moving every opposition. We will see hundreds of pastors and leaders locking arms across denominations, across cultures, renouncing the spirit of racism, repenting of historic and present injustice, and crying out for revival. We will see that in our day, in our time, on the top of Stone Mountain. We declare it in the name of the Lord Jesus. We declare it in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so it is in Jesus' name. And everybody that greets said amen. Amen. Man, let's just give the Lord a great shout right now. We love you, God. We worship you, Jesus. We exalt you, Jesus. There's no one like you. We glorify you. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. I feel like I could fly. But what the Lord's doing right now in this gathering is, it's excellent. It's just fantastic. I love the spirit of the Lord and the way he is attending our worship and our praises. I loved the word that Isaiah brought last night. 
When I grow up, I want to be like Isaiah Saldivar. I was just saying, my God. One day he'll learn how to preach, I think. Gee whiz. But I said, I, I got out of bed this morning. I said, man, I'm in that, I feel like I'm in the flow from that last night, breaking it open. Well, let me just tell you a little bit about where we are, what's going on with one race. Let me tell you what I feel like the Lord's saying to the church in this hour, and then I feel like I've got a word for us here in this gathering. You know, sometimes when you preach, you're not just preaching to people. I mean, you're preaching to people, but you're preaching to the, to the atmosphere. You're preaching to principalities and powers. You're shifting things actually through the, the word that you speak. And, and so I'm very cognizant of that, even last night and today, that, that even the words that are coming forth right now, we're not just preaching to human hearts. We are, but we're preaching into the atmosphere. We're shifting strongholds. We're shifting demonic things. We are hoisting a flag in the spirit, and we're allowing the truth of God to prevail. So even as I'm preaching today, I know that I'm, I'm worshiping our king but I'm stepping into a place of spiritual warfare. Let me tell you what's happening in our city right now. Bishop Collier alluded to it. I just want to say how honored I am to be able to be here with you. And I mean, I'm just so blessed that you invited me to, to be able to speak at this gathering. And, and there's a friendship that has been born and continues to grow between us and so many others in this region that is different than anything we've experienced ever in our ministries. And, and so here's where we are in Atlanta right now. We're in a divine moment. We're in a divine moment, beloved. And you have to catch what God's doing because if you're sleeping on it, you're absolutely going to miss one of the most historic things that any of us have ever seen. We're standing in an hour right now where there is camaraderie and community across denominations and across cultures like none of us has ever seen before. We have 250 plus pastors and leaders that are meeting. They're meeting every single month for fasting, for prayer, for dialogue and relationship, and they're crying out for racial reconciliation and revival all over the metro area of Atlanta. 250 plus. I have never heard of that, not in my experience, in my history, or in reading anything about the history of our city. I've never heard of that before. We're in that moment right now. Furthermore, this, we right now, we we are in a run-up to Stone Mountain, August 25th, where we've had 24 regional and citywide prayer gatherings. Black and white, Asian, Hispanic, all coming together. This is all within the last year. The church crying out together for breakthrough, revival, and reconciliation. Beloved, that's never happened before. We're standing in that moment. And even right now as I speak, there are several hundred believers, several of you, and many, many across the the city who are engaged in a 40-day fast, believing for breakthrough. Listen, we're not talking about some hype fest. We're not talking about trying to drum up a reaction. We're talking about there is a guttural thing happening in the heart, the cooperative heart of of the church in our city that is beginning to shift how the culture has been to a new way that the culture is going to be. We are in the moment of that shift taking place right now. You have to catch it and understand what the Spirit of the Lord is saying and doing in the church. And if you just have faith, 
to believe. All things are possible to them that believe. God is going to shift how we have been, and he's going to change the entire climate, the entire atmosphere, and it is going to be completely different in the days that are coming than it's been in the days that are behind. You know, Bishop Collier was saying something about how God is sort of waiting on us to get together. And immediately in my mind, that, that passage, Psalm 133, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. It's like the oil that runs down off the beard of Aaron. There God commands the blessing. Now listen, listen. I mean, just in a moment, the Lord dropped this in my spirit. Where does God exist in eternity? He is from everlasting to everlasting. Let me just blow your mind with a little theology for a second. He is equally in yesterday as he is in today as he is in tomorrow. He's already there and he's already back and he's still back there. Just as he is right here. There God commands the blessing. What I want to tell you is this, that in the eternal mind of God, God's already in a place of commanded blessing, and he is truly waiting on the church to come together so we can step into that place where he's already commanded it. If we can just grab the moment, if we can just believe, and I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm trying to pay attention to, to what are you doing Beyond our city, what are you doing in the earth? What are, you, what are you doing across the bride of Christ? Not just in our city, in our region, in our nation, in the earth. And there's, there's a couple of things I'm absolutely convinced of. God is causing the bride to fall in love with his son. He is wooing the church to fall in love with Jesus. That is going to be the story all the way through the end of the age, all the way until the day where we're standing at a wedding. I love to say this, if you're not at a wedding, the story's not over. Because there is a wedding coming between the Son of God and His bride, and this is our eternal destiny to be eternally united to a deity, to Jesus Christ, forever and ever and ever. The only God is going to marry his church. If you're not a wedding, this story's not over. So he's causing right now across the nations, he's causing the bride to fall in love with the son. But here's the other thing he's causing the bride to do. He's causing the bride to fall in love with herself. I'm not talking about some weird self-love thing. I'm talking about where we come together across cultures, across denominations, and we truly become the church that Jesus Christ paid for. We truly become the united church with, with a, a, a unity of the faith that Jesus bled and died for. I love what Isaiah said last night. He's not coming back for brides, plural. He's coming back for one bride, a united church. This is what he's doing in the earth. And if there's a message he's put in my heart right now, it's this, that he is converting the American church from an American Christianity to a biblical Christianity. He's got us in the middle of a conviction that is gonna, it's gonna play out with a, a full conversion where the church in the West is going to shed all of her Western you know, strongholds and she's gonna embrace the value system and the culture of the kingdom of God and she's actually going to live a biblical Christianity.
That's what's coming. And that's what, where we're in right now. The, the, the cry has gone out that we cannot continue to fall asleep. And I'm not going to re-preach this message last night. But man, it's a word from the Lord that right now the church cannot continue to be asleep. This is what I feel like. I feel like right now the church is looking around and it's like she's just been running around in an amusement park eating all the cotton candy that she can. And she's going, I've got nothing to show for it. It's like she's been on a sugar high, been pumped up on all this, this you know, fake stuff. And when, when her feet are finally hitting the ground, she's like, what do I have to show for that? And there's, there's no legitimacy. And so the church right now is coming down off of a sugar high. And what the church is wanting, the, the thing the church is really wanting is something real. Give me something real. Give me the word of God. Give me the real Jesus. Give me hearts that are really broken for the lost. Give me the real thing. Because this false, fake, counterfeit deal, I don't want it anymore. And I'm watching it. I'm watching the church wake up and find herself lacking. But, oh, man, it's in that place where the church recognizes that there's been a digression, that there's been this, this backsliding, that, man, revival is in the air. And that's where we're at right now. And, oh, beloved... It is an incredible time. But our value system, what we value, the way we think, I'm finding that right now, basically when I preach, I'm having to just go through detail after detail after detail and untie certain knots that are in our value system because we don't even realize it that we've embraced the value system of the world, an American, an American value system that's in opposition to the value system of the kingdom. And so the Lord is just giving me like time after time after time where I have to address a certain idea to just undo a mentality and ideology and a stronghold that is causing you to live in opposition to the kingdom of God. Because I will tell you, the, the value system of the United States of America is in direct opposition to the value system of the kingdom of God. And so where the church embraces the American ideal and the American value system, she stands in opposition to her very king. Now here's the thing. If Jesus doesn't own her but an American value system does, let me ask you, who's the real Lord? And this is where I'm at right now. I'm looking at the way the church just moves and, and sways and, 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 and bends at, at every media stream that's coming across, the social media waves and, and the news streams, and I'm watching the church just freak out every time a new message comes out. Let me just tell you something. The, the message that's coming from the media streams is not the message that's coming from the throne room of Jesus. It's not the message that's coming from the throne room of God. And the church is more in tune with her social media feed than she is with the word of the Lord coming from the throne. And so right now, we've got to have an awakening and, and separate ourselves from the value system of the West and embrace a biblical value system. And I've, I don't know about you, but I've just determined this. An elephant can't own me. A donkey can't own me because I've already been bought by the blood of a lion and a lamb. I will not be influenced or owned by a political system or a media stream. I will engage with the throne room of God, get the word of the Lord on my lips, and declare with boldness and let the chips fall where they may. That's it. And so we've got to be willing 
to say, Jesus, we want your kingdom no matter what. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Which is, a, you know, it's a, it's a prayer we love. We, we love the Lord's Prayer. We love to pray that kind of a thing. Our, our problem is we don't even really know what it means. Your kingdom come, your will be done is one of the most, listen, destructive prayers you can pray. Why? Because if you ask him, really ask him to bring his kingdom, that means another kingdom is going. And namely, it will be yours. Your kingdom has to go for his kingdom to come. What we want to do is we want to add Jesus to our kingdom and make him the mascot of our supposed Christianity. We embrace a little bit of Christian morality. We embrace a little bit of few Christian slogans. We learn our 50 Bible verses, and Jesus is our mascot. We put him in our pocket, and then when, when it's inconvenient, you know, because at work, I wouldn't want anybody to know, like, how radical I am pouring myself out at church. And so we put him in our pocket when it's, when it's inconvenient, and then we take him out, you know, when he can affirm our moment. Jesus is not the mascot of Christianity. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is preeminent. He is transcendent. He deserves all of our worship, all of our praise, all of our glory, every breath. And this is where I've been wrestling right now. I feel like we've preached an incomplete gospel, and so we've had insufficient conversions. And a few weeks ago, I preached a message around this subject of counterfeit conversion. And again, I'm trying not to preach this message from last night, but man, we're kind of vibing. And I'm a little bit in that that whole Isaiah flow is happening. But when we don't preach a gospel that requires repentance, that requires the lordship of Jesus Christ, that requires the deliverance from sin, and actually recognizes that without Jesus, you will spend eternity in hell. If we don't preach a gospel that holds those components as sacred, we're preaching an incomplete gospel. And so what we do is we try to appeal to everybody by watering the thing down, and we're serving falsehood, we're converting them insufficiently, and are we even born again? And so I'm just going, man, we need a conversion. We've got to get converted from this American popsicle Christianity to the value system of the kingdom of God. That's where we have got to live right now. And so it requires our kingdom to go. And what we tend to do is this. We tend to hold our few little sacred cows dear to us and try to add Jesus onto our lives. And I would just tell you, he's not your butler, he's not your fairy godmother, he's not your mascot. And we treat Jesus like we're God. Think about it. I prayed and God didn't answer. And man, I told him I needed it done by this time and he didn't do it. And I'm offended with God. Really? That's crazy. In that equation, God not doing what you want him to do on your schedule, in your timing, according to your preferences, who's God in that equation? We make him our butler 
and our errand boy. And somehow we imagine that he is supposed to operate according to our whim. And I will tell you, that is not Christianity. That's falsehood and foolishness. We are to come to Jesus the way the apostle Paul did when his name was Saul. He said, who are you, Lord? Tell me what I must do. Tell me what I must do. That's got to be our heart and our mentality. So here's the thing. Everything in the kingdom of God, everything, I can give you, I mean, I can give you right now in a phrase, the key to your whole life, and this is it, obedience by love. It's as simple as that. John 14, 15, Jesus said this, New American Standard Version, if you love me, you will keep my commands. It's as simple as that. What's God saying to you? If he's saying something to you to, to do in the course of your life, a direction you're supposed to go, what's he saying to you? If you love him, you'll obey him. It's as simple as that. Somehow we want to insert disobedience in our walk with God and then also claim, I love Jesus. Those are incompatible. Disobedience and love of Jesus are incompatible. I'm not saying there's not room for repentance. There is room for repentance. But we've got to get it really, really clear. When Jesus calls you and invites you to do different things in the kingdom, when he's inviting you to change things in your life, when he's inviting you on a certain direction or, or a, in a directive, a, a ministry call, whatever, if you say, no, Lord, not right now, that's not my plan, not my, my desire, you're in disobedience and you're, you're, you're exhibiting the opposite of love for Jesus. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And you know what Jesus is really trying to get the church to do right now? Love him back. Just love me back. Just love me back. I've laid my life down. I came from perfection and put on skin. I, I was a baby in a woman's womb for you. I was a child for you. I was a teenager for you, dear Jesus. Think Jesus went through puberty. Think that through. I preached and teached and taught the gospel and I, I ministered for you and, and I became one of you for you. And I was rejected brutalized, beaten, had my beard ripped out, my back ripped off. For you, I'm God and I died like a slave for you. I poured my life out for you because I love you. I think about the cross and Jesus, in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2, it says of Jesus, in regarding the cross, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He thought of you. He loved you. And it filled his heart with joy. So he laid his life down to foolish men, wicked men who would beat him, mock him, and put him to death for love. For love. And all he's asking for the church right now to do is love me back. 
I love our worship sets. I love our worship environments. I love dancing, jumping, rolling, spinning, shouting, sitting. I like all of it. We live in an atmosphere of 24-7 worship. I love it. But I would just tell you, the love that he's asking for doesn't only exist in a worship environment or in a conference setting. It exists in a life that's laid down primarily when no one else is looking. That's what he's asking for. I say this. The, the, the greatest theater that you have to express the love of God is in your family because you're with them the most, it's in private the most, and so that's where the majority of your time is, and it's where all the trappings are removed. I, man, I get to really see you. I, if I see you and your spouse, I get to really see you. If I see you and your kids, I get to really see you. That's the greatest theater where we live out our love for Jesus. It's in our families. With our, with our, and, and maybe you don't have a, a, you know, a regular kind of family because I know all y'all are all family. All Eddie James' whole team is, is family. But it's with your family, with those that know you the most and see you the most. That's where obedience is walked out. So Jesus' great desire is to get us to love him back. And I'll just prove it to you. I'll give you a verse for it. John 17, verse 26. At the end of his earthly ministry, he's pouring out his heart in the high priestly prayer. He prays a number of things about the glory he's imparted to us, that we would be one. And, 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 he, and he prays all these different distinctions. But the very last verse of his high priestly prayer, John 17, 26, he says, Father, put in them the love that you have for me. You just get him to love me back. And that's what Jesus is wanting to do with the church right now. To get her to love him. Well, you know, it's what the Father is wanting to do with the church right now. To get her to love him. And this is what the Lord is speaking, what the Lord is saying in the earth. This is what's happening in America. But that's not really my message. That was introduction. I have a word that I felt like the Lord gave me late last night, and then as I was waking up this morning, just early this morning, just beginning to come to in the Holy Spirit. I, I don't know if this happens to you, but it happens to me a lot. I can hear the preacher in my head. It's the Holy Spirit. He's preaching the message to me that he wants me to preach. And the phrase that he gave me was inconvenient obedience. Inconvenient obedience inconvenient obedience and I know that he wants me to address this issue of how we go about obeying God and following the will of God for our lives so here's the thing most of us have a mentality of obedience we think we understand what it is but what we tend to do is we throw up a bunch of excuses to obedience based on our life circumstance and what we do is we we, we don't actually give ourselves to abandon obedience. What we tend to do is we put off obedience until a time that is convenient. And if you're waiting for convenience so that you can walk in obedience, I will tell you, you are in disobedience. Are you hearing me? 
I remember when I first got saved, I used to sit and wait on the Lord, and the Lord would speak to me, I want you to go to this place and share the gospel with that person. And I, I look back on my life some 30 years later, and I think, Lord, have I become homogenized? Have I become tamed? Have I, am I too domesticated? I don't ever want to settle down. I always want to be radical for Jesus. I, I remember a guy told me one time right after I got saved, he goes, you know what, you're on fire for the Lord now, but hey, don't worry, give it a little while, you're going to settle down. And I just remember, man, that thing went right in me, I went, mm. He doesn't understand, I'm the youngest of three brothers. I grew up getting beat up all the time. You tell me I can't do something, that is the golden ticket to make sure that I will do it. He said, you'll settle down, you won't be this fired up the rest of your life, you know, you'll just, you'll settle down into reality. And I said to the Lord, I go, Lord, I never, ever want to be realistic. I always want to be faith-filled and idealistic about your kingdom. But I can remember those early days, and I, I would sit and I'd wait, and the Lord would say, I want you to go here at this time, and, and you're going to just wait on me. And I remember doing that different times. I remember the first, the first year I got saved, I was running around at the U University of Georgia, go dogs, and I was, I was on the campus, and the Lord would tell me to go wait at certain places, and someone would walk up to me, and I'd share the gospel with them, and they'd get saved. I remember one time I was in a mall, the, the Lord, actually I wasn't in the mall, I was driving my car, he said, pull over and go to the mall. I'm like, Lord, I don't want to go to the mall, I don't get anything, to, there's nothing I want to get in there and I just don't like the flow. Just go in there and he showed me in my mind where to stand, I stood there. And I was standing like in this awkward spot, like in the crosswalk area in the middle of the mall, I'm just standing there. I remember this clearly, I was about, I guess I was about 20. I'm standing there and I'm thinking, Lord, how long do you want me to stand here? And, and he said, till four o'clock. I thought, Jesus, I've lost my mind or something. And I'm standing there and I look at my watch and it's four o'clock and nothing. I go, okay, I just lost it. This is weird. And I'm getting ready to leave. And as I do, I turn, I look up and there's this girl I know from high school and she's walking right at me. And she'd been a Christian, and she was backslidden. And she walked right up to me. And I remember talking to her. I said, listen, I want to tell you something. I'm standing here right now because God put me here. She goes, what do you mean? I, go, I was driving along. The Lord told me to wait here until 4 o'clock. And I didn't know why. And at 4, you came walking up to me. I said, Jesus wants you. He wants your soul. He wants you to turn away from sin and get right with him. He wants, bang, tears flowing down her face. But I remember as a, as a young man having these radical times of radical obedience. And then, you know, you grow up and, you, you know, you get married. And you get tamed a little bit. And you, and, and you get children. Glory to God. <laughs> and, you know, when you're married, you just can't go running off to the mall because the Lord said and standing in there and trying to, you know. And I'm going, God, I don't ever want to settle down. But what I realize is he trained me. In the early days, and one, two, three, four, fives, so I could do larger directives in my older days. But here's the thing I realized I cannot recall one time when the Lord directed my life that it was convenient, that it worked with my plan, it worked with my timing. 
that it work with my ideas, that it work with my preferences. Somebody say, well, you're doing 24-7 prayer. You guys have been going for 12 years, 24-7. You're entering into your dream. I go, oh, no. 24-7 prayer was never my idea. That wasn't my dream at all. I wanted to be Isaiah Salivar when I grew up. I want to travel around doing revival. Come on. I'm not trying to hide myself in a closet where there's an empty room and one guy up on a guitar saying, Lord, I lift your name on high. And I'm walking around in a room going, I used to be cool. <laughs> what happened to me, Jesus? Jesus, do you know my address? Because here I am and I don't really understand all this, but you've put me to the side. You've sent me to the wilderness. And he says, son, I'm birthing voices from the wilderness. See, I spend most of my time in an empty room praying to a God I cannot see listening to worship leaders who play the same songs every two hours. That could be fun for a day. Try it for thousands of hours straight. <laughs> yeah, no, that ain't my dream, y'all. But it's his dream. It's his desire to have an incense that never ceases to arise to him from this city. That's his dream. And so I'm all in on his dream, not on my dream. You see, most, and not most, every single directive that I've received from the Lord as I go back through my, through my mind and all the history of my life, every time God directed me, it was inconvenient. It wasn't something I wanted. wasn't something I would have chosen. wasn't a direction that I was thinking would be cool. See, convenient, let me just break this all down for us so we get it. Convenient means it fits in well with our own activities, plans, and preferences. Inconvenient, it causes discomfort or disruption to your own plans and preferences. They're in exact opposition. And I'm telling you, the Lord is calling the church to put away with her convenient mentality and begin to enter into a season of inconvenient obedience. That no matter the cost, we obey the Lord regardless of what comes against us, regardless of what rises up against us, regardless of the persecutions, regardless of suffering. The American church has no theology for suffering, but if you read the Bible, it's all through the New Testament. And what we do is this. We go, well, if I were to do that radical thing, you never know. I mean, it's not really safe. Hear me. Where do you see in the New Testament the church called to do what's safe? It's not even in there, but it's such an American ideal. We could never do anything that might put ourselves in harm's way. I just, can I, oh my God. Can I, <laughs> let me, <laughs> this is too easy. This atmosphere is too easy. <laughs> I got to show you this verse. I just got to show you this verse. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah, turn, if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew 23. You have to see this with your own eyes. Matthew 23, our Jesus, our Jesus who loves us, our Jesus who poured himself out for us, our Jesus who just wants us to love him back. Look at Matthew 23, just to get you around what Jesus does with his servants. So many believe, well, if I'm obedient 
and I follow the Lord, man, I'm going to be blessed. I'm going to be anointed. I'm going to be promoted. And we have this American gospel that says if you follow Jesus faithfully, everything will get better for you American style. That is not Christianity. It's not in the Bible. Watch it. Matthew 23. Oh, man. I can preach this here. Here's Jesus. He's standing over Jerusalem. He's rebuking them because they have a form of godliness, and they've completely denied the kingdom of God. They have all the religious ritual and none of the heart. And so he says this to Jerusalem. I'll make sure I'll get the verse the way I want it. Yeah, that's where I'm going. He says, therefore, verse 31, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. He goes, fill up the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Look at this, 34. Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Surely I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. And I look at that, and all, you know, we hear Jesus releasing this rebuke. Woe to you, Jerusalem. Woe to you, Jerusalem. But something stark sticks out to me. He goes, I send you prophets and scribes, and you will kill them. And I, I don't know how you think, but I go, what about the prophet guy? Like, God fashioned, and he's a legitimate prophet that gets sent, that he's, Jesus is prophesying, I'm going to send you more prophets and more scribes. God's going to raise up a prophet. He's going to take him through trials and testings. He's going to form the, the kingdom of God within him. He's going to put the word of God in his mouth. He's going to craft a prophet, a real one, not this, a real thing. He's going to raise him up. He's going to send him to Jerusalem. And day one, he's going to go, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Boom. They're going to kill him. Day one of his ministry. And I go, what about that prophet? Where is his? He followed God perfectly and he got the American blessing. Do you see that we have a false mentality? If you, if you listen right now what blessed is and you compare it to Matthew 5, what Jesus says blessed is, what Jesus says blessed is and what we say blessed is in America are in complete opposition to one another. And so we have this padding around ourselves. We're like insulated in bubble wrap. Like nothing bad can happen because if anything bad happens to you, that's not God. No, God leads us through sufferings. Leads us into the fiery furnace. Hallelujah. Sometimes he leads us out of it too. But just because someone dies or pours out their blood for Jesus, man, I'm preaching on martyrdom. You guys get this. No, come on, come on. 
Just because someone pours out their blood for Jesus doesn't mean they miss God, doesn't mean they miss their blessing, doesn't mean they weren't successful. No, there's an inconvenient obedience that God is trying to convert the church into that we would be fully abandoned to the will of God no matter the cost. And see, we love to sing that stuff, but man, do we actually live it? This is what's in my heart is that God wants a church that's fully his. He wants an inconvenient obedience. He's calling for us to live a life of radical abandonment no matter what comes. Hmm. When did God promise that his calling would be convenient? He doesn't call us according to our preferences. He, called us his, he calls us according to his purpose. And his purposes far outweigh any of our preferences, guys. I was thinking about different biblical characters. Was it convenient for John the Baptist to preach until he was martyred? Was it convenient for Peter and John to leave their fishing business? Was it convenient for Paul, who's ascending in Judaism, to get knocked off his horse and blinded and not eat for three days? Was it convenient? Let me ask you something. What have you delayed in obedience in the name of inconvenience? Because we can hear a bomb drop of a message last night, but unless we dial it into how we live day in and day out, it's nothing but a momentary high. You, you, you know what happens? Isaiah comes. He opens up fire on all of us. We feel the fire that he carries. We walk away. And I promise you, in two weeks, you'll forget it. Unless you walk away and make the adjustments necessary. And I feel like this, that God was identifying to us. There would be people listening this morning that you are delaying disobedience in the name of inconvenience. And I will tell you, it's sin. The Lord says it's sin. I understand there's appropriate timings, but it's not your timing, it's the Lord's timing. I understand there's times when you're believing God and there's a delay and the Lord puts the delay in. I get that. I'm not talking about those points. I'm talking about this. The Lord told you to do a thing. He called you in a certain direction. He's dealing with you on an issue of your heart and you are delaying obedience in the name of inconvenience. God says, no, son and daughter, no. I remember... I remember one time, so I was a youth pastor, I got several of my guys with me, some of the young guys, and I said, listen, we're going to get up in the morning, we're going to pray for revival. And, and I remember we were going into this <clears throat> part of the church early in the morning, nobody was there, and we're crying out for revival, and I'm going, God, send revival, send revival, send revival, and the Lord speaks to my heart so clear, he goes, you think I'm in agreement with the compromises of your own heart, and you're wrong. While I'm praying for revival, I go, God, I'm praying for revival. I'm not talking about me. Come on, a global thermonuclear revival. I'll take the city over. Send revival, send revival. Bang, he speaks again. You think I'm in agreement with the compromises of your own heart, and you're wrong. I'll never be in agreement with your own sin. And I just went, God, I'm trying to pray for revival. He goes, yeah, let it start in you. Let it be in your heart that there is no 
variance, that there is no dissonance between the word of the Lord and the, the word of your own heart. And it's these areas of inconvenience. Let me ask you a question. Was the cross of Jesus Christ convenient? Was that convenient? Do you imagine that somehow God would do what he did, that, that he would send his son, pour himself out so that you could then be in the kingdom via easy believism? That's not reality. When Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, whoever wants to follow me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. When he said that, they weren't imagining that denying themselves and taking up their cross equaled, dang, Starbucks is out of milk. I won't be able to get my latte. Well, I'm just going to take up my cross today. No, no. Oh, dang, the internet connection's slow. I'm just taking up my cross. Oh, the AC's not working too well in here. Dang. Just, well, we'll just take up our cross this morning, beloved. No. That's not, guys, that's not what they were thinking. They'd watched the Roman crucifixion. They, they'd seen the Roman government hang people from a tree until their bodies were ripped to shreds, till all their bones came completely out of joint, till blood was coming out of every single orifice. It's the most nasty way somebody can die. They watched men die naked on trees, beaten and bludgeoned and bloodied because they'd seen the Roman scourge. The Roman scourge and the Roman crucifixion were renowned for the suffering that it inflicted upon the person that went, underwent it. So when Jesus said, you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross, they weren't imagining it was what we make it now because we just, we just kind of sugarcoat that thing and make it something that he's not even talking about. We, we, have so, we are so padded by Western convenience. We imagine if we go without one of our preferences, we're taking up our cross. That's wrong. No, when, they, when he said take up, their cross, take up your cross, he, they saw the crucifixion in their mind. They're just like, okay, Jesus, it's getting real. But this is what I believe, beloved. We're coming down off a sugar high. We don't know what we've been eating, but right now we're starting to realize if we're going to actually be the real thing, we've got to eat the real thing. And the real gospel is a gospel that calls you to lay your life down for the one that laid his life down for you. That's it. All of life, it's obedience by love. All of life is obedience by love. It's not about your platform. It's not about your social sphere. It's not about who gets to know your name. I don't care who gets to know my name. That's, not, that's the last thing on my mind. You know why? Because when we all stand before Jesus, there'll be one star in the kingdom of God. His name will be Jesus Christ, and none of us will be strutting in that place. Do you think in the throne room of God right now there's angels back on row 78 that are going, man, I'm a way better singer than the angels up there around the throne. I should be in front. Do you think any angel is saying that in the throne room right now? The stuff that we've embraced as normative in the church, all of our little petty arguments and our posturing for position and who's going to get the headline and who's going to get the offering and who's going to be in front, that's a mess. It's completely false. It's not the kingdom of God. When we see the one whose eyes are a fire, who is a consuming fire, when we see him for the first time, we are going to go face down because the glory that's going to be coming off of him it's going to shock us. 
it is going to be great and terrible. It's going to be beautiful and wonderful and horrifying. It's going to be one of those deals like, ah, 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 I want more, ah. I mean, we are going to be in a holy schizophrenia, not knowing to run in or run away because of what the wonder that's coming off of the uncreated God when light is coming off of his face that's brighter than the sun. I'll tell you, when you see him for the first time, all of your dreams are going to come true. Because you know, you know you weren't made just for this. You know, this, this is what we see and feel. This isn't it. You know there's so much more than, you know in your soul there's so much more than this. When you see him, all those depths of your soul that have longed for wonder, that have longed for shock and awe, that have longed for beauty and pleasure, they're all going to explode. Every meter of your heart is going to pin to 10. All your pleasure centers are going to pin to 10. I mean, you are going to require a glorified body to be able to withstand the onslaught of glory that's coming off of Jesus' face. And you're going to know in an instant, this is what I was made for. This is what I was made for. Meanwhile, on this side, we live low-bar Christianity, easy believism with Jesus as our mascot. Are you kidding me? Beloved, there's so much more for us. And I know he wants us to stand in an obedience that's not only inconvenient, that's fully abandoned. He happens to believe that he bought us, that he owns us. We're the only ones that don't get that side of the equation. He gets it. I own you. You're mine. He gets that. We're the ones that still think we've got a dog in the fight. No, you're his property. He can do with you whatever he wants. If he wants to raise you up and fashion you as a prophet and send you to Jerusalem to get martyred on day one, that's up to him. And that's for the glory of God, which is beauty. We live for his pleasure. We live for his glory. Obedient faith, regardless of the inconvenience, is always joy. See, that's what I think about when Jesus said, for the joy set before me, the cross wasn't convenient, but obedient faith brings joy. And that's what we want to live in. Most of us are looking for the wrong thing. We're looking for happiness. Hear me. Happiness and joy are completely different. Happiness is momentary. It's the sugar high. It's the thing that makes you feel good in the moment. But later at night when you're thinking about it, you're like, well, it's kind of over. What's the next thing that will make me happy? No, joy is this, that I am absolutely amazed and in wonder that this God who's uncreated thinks about me at all, and he likes me. No matter what my circumstances are, whether anyone else does, God likes me. Whether everybody else is against me or for me, it doesn't even matter because God likes me. You know, we got saved. When you got saved, you, you know, I just have to ask you, did you get saved for Jesus or did you get saved for Jesus plus something? Because if you got saved for Jesus plus your blessing, your platform, your job, Jesus plus the new car or whatever it was, he will violently make war against the plus something because he's not in it with a plus something. He's not Santa Claus showing up with a bunch of gifts to try to get you to believe in him. No, Jesus for Jesus. We love Jesus for Jesus. For Jesus. Well, Jesus and his presence. No, what if he didn't even, what if he didn't even feel his presence? Is Jesus enough? What if, what if you got nothing 
Is the cross of Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? See, we don't realize how deep this goes because what we do is we take Jesus and we add all the blessings to it. We go, Jesus and all that is awesome. No, 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 Jesus is awesome. Minus any blessing you'd ever receive on this side, side, Jesus is awesome. I was just thinking about the values of the kingdom and the things that God calls us to do and how we're to live day in and day out. And everything that he calls us to do is inconvenient. Is forgiveness convenient? Forgiveness, just something simple. Is it convenient? Do you just love going around just forgiving people who have done you wrong? I, I honestly think if we sat down with Jesus and had coffee with him, it would be really awkward. Here's why. Because we don't know him, and he, we'd sit in front of him, and he'd go, man, let's talk about stuff. What do you want to talk about? And you'd go, I don't know, Jesus, what do you want to talk about? He goes, oh, man, there's just some things I just love. I love suffering for righteousness. Don't you love that? And we go, what? He goes, oh, oh, no, that's not, that's not what you like. Oh, you know, he goes, no, I love, I love forgiving people who hate me. Don't you, don't you love that? I love giving away my last dime so I don't have anything. I have to trust God. Don't, don't you love that? We would look at Jesus like, what planet are you from? He goes, oh, that's right. I'm not from this world. And you're still drowning on the culture of this world. Forgiveness is completely inconvenient. It goes against everything in our flesh. God, did you see what they did to me? Did you see what they said to me? God, did you see how they don't understand me? He goes, did I forgive you? Forgive them. I go, but God, they don't even know they did me wrong. Forgive them. Their repentance isn't the basis for your forgiveness. My forgiveness of you is the basis of your forgiveness. How many times have you left yourself in the jail of unforgiveness because you were waiting for so-and-so to ask you to forgive them? And you're there, and you're all swolled up on your own pride, and you don't even realize it. They're free. You're in jail because you're in unforgiveness. How many, I mean, how, how long? Some of you are here right now, and you are in the jail of unforgiveness. The perpetrator is free, and you're bound in bitterness and in unforgiveness. And Jesus is looking at you going, I love you. I forgive you. Now forgive. Forgive. My cross was enough to pay for even that sin. Forgive. Forgiveness is never convenient, but forgiveness is required for those in the kingdom of God. Mercy, mercy is, it's never convenient. You, you know what, we think people that are all tender and sweet, we just go, oh, they're so merciful. Mercy is not about being tender and sweet. You, you know what mercy is about? It's when somebody does you wrong, then you have the opportunity to show mercy. Mercy doesn't even get to start acting in you until you get done wrong. Do you, do you get it? Mercy is you're a target and you've been hit, and now you get to show mercy. Mercy doesn't even start until you've been offended. Humility. Is humility convenient? No, because it goes against everything in your flesh. We all want to prove our own way. We want to all show that we, we knew better. I mean, we know better than this, and, and we're bigger than that, and, and you can't do me like that. I, I'm, I'm me. You can't do me like that. I'll protect myself. And we don't realize how much pride we are choking on 
when God's calling us to go low, he's calling us to humble ourselves, to make ourselves of no reputation. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of God, but didn't, didn't, and didn't consider robbery to be equal with God, that though he existed in the form of God, he made himself of no reputation. He took the form of a bondservant. And he humbled himself even to the point of death. Love is not convenient. I mean, humility is not convenient. And the last is this. Love is not convenient, ever. Because love will ultimately diminish you to all that's left is love. And what love is ultimately about is preferring the other person every time. You know, we got this thing all messed up. Nowadays, especially you young dudes hear this, you meet a girl and you say, oh, I, I love you. And most of the time, you're not saying, I will pour out my life for you. I will die for you. I will lay myself down for you. Most of the time, you're saying, I like how you look. I like how you make me feel. I like how you look with me on my arm. And what you're saying is, I like how I feel when I'm with you. You're not saying, I love you. You're saying, I love me. If you want to love somebody, what you're really saying is, I will pour myself out for you, for your blessing, for your benefit. What are you after? I'm after it too. My wife and I have these conversations. She goes, well, babe, what do you, where do you want to go eat tonight? I go, babe, you know, what, you know what the answer is. It's all about you. You just tell me. She goes, now stop. Just tell me where you want to go eat. I go, you tell me. French or Mediterranean? I don't like either of them. She loves them. French or Mediterranean, baby. I'm all in. Because it's for you. Love, the goal of love, listen, the goal of love is to reduce you to love. Never convenient. Last thought, Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. You know that verse. We sing it. We love that verse. And here's what we, how we sing it. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. And we, th we think the emphasis is on the desires of your heart. And we've missed this point that if you delight yourself in the Lord, then he'll give you desires of your heart. And here's what we just completely misunderstand. We think somehow we're going to sort of like... Give Jesus like a, a tip during worship, like, see, Lord, I do love you, I do love you, I do love you. Now I want my thing. And he's like, you have completely lo lost it. You're, you've completely missed it. See, if you delight yourself in the Lord, you know what happens? You get so caught up in him. You get so wound up in the whirlwind of him. When you delight yourself in him, you lose yourself. And all of a sudden, you realize, man, I don't even want the stuff I wanted before. The desires of my heart are completely different. So then by the time you've actually delighted yourself in him and he's untied all the knots in you and you've actually found your pleasure in him and not in the flesh, by the time that you've actually gone there, all of a sudden the desires of your heart become absolutely unrecognizable to the guy you used to be. Because the desires of your heart end up being, what's your pleasure? What's your will? What's your desire? God, what's on your heart? I want you more than I want anything else. There's nothing else I want. I just want you. Here's us. We're sitting around. 
We want God to give us a fresh word. And the problem is we haven't obeyed the old word. We want a fresh anointing, a fresh revelation, a fresh unction, a, a fresh prophecy, a fresh word. And we haven't obeyed the old one because it was too inconvenient. And the Lord is trying to call us out of obedience based on convenience. And just call us into radical abandonment with him. Amen, amen. Let's all stand for a minute. Can I just get one person on the keyboard? Like all y'all play keys and guitar, don't you? There's so much more to come. I'm not going to, I don't know. I'm not, I am in the Isaiah side of our anointing. I, I think I cut myself while I'm up here preaching somehow. I'm like bleeding off my hand. Glory. I don't know how I did it. Thank you, Lee. It's wild. That might be the first. Let's just set our hearts towards the Lord right now just for a moment. I'm not going to belabor this. This is just a moment, you and God, right now. And I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. What are the areas of obedience that you're not fully abandoned to because you're waiting for a convenient time? What are those areas? I'm not saying go and be reckless and wild and drum something up in your flesh. I'm talking about the direction of the Holy Spirit on your life. For some of you, it's a vocation change. For some of you, it's a ministry that you're supposed to step into. For some of you, it's simple areas of your own heart that are pet sins that you keep petting. And you're afraid if you let it go that somehow you're going to lose. And I'm telling you, you're losing because you won't let it go. Holy Spirit, right now, just speak to our hearts. What are the areas of obedience you're calling us to that don't go with our preference and our plan and our timing? What are the areas of disobedience in our heart that we're waiting on the convenient moment? Speak to us. I just believe the Lord is shining his light on multiple things in different people's lives. Some of you, it's forgiving someone. There's a, you've forgiven so many people, but there's a person you're holding and you have to forgive them. The Lord's calling you to that right now in his grace. He's calling you to forgiveness. Some of you, it's generosity. You've never made a commitment that you're just gonna really give of your finances, tithes and offerings and generously. So, some of you, it's just concepts of mercy and humility and prayer, fasting. Come, Holy Spirit, right now, just illuminate it to us. Illuminate it to us. We're just going to take a moment. We're going to make a, a shift right now. We're going to just step into that change right now. We're going to step right out of disobedience and right, out in, right into obedience, regardless of convenience. So if you'd say right now, there's areas the Lord's showing me, and I am going to change them today regardless of the convenience of it just raise your hand all over the room right now 
You know what it is. You and the Lord know exactly what it is. Don't sidestep this moment. Don't make it about someone else. You and the Lord know exactly what it is. Now, right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, we turn away from disobedience. We don't wait on our perfect timing. We turn towards you, God. We don't care if it's an inconvenient obedience. It's okay. Because ultimately, Jesus, we just want you. So just out of your own mouth, just say, say, Jesus, I turn away. I turn away from disobedience. And I turn into obedience. In the name of Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Make it real. Make it real. Make it real in our hearts right now. And Lord, hold us to it. I mean, Holy Spirit, latch on to us and don't let us go when we try to put you off again by 3 o'clock. Because as inconvenient as it was when you walked in here, it's still inconvenient. The only difference is the direction of your will. So Lord, we set our will towards yours. And we say, God, do with us whatever brings you glory. We're happy for that. We're joyful for your glory and your will be done.